on. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is September the 4th, 2020. Strong hand, long-term thinking. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Don't FOMO on alts or DeFi or any of that nonsense. Avoid the noise. Uh, I'm offended by selling. Okay. We got some unique beasts here today. Be a freaking unique beast. And they've got some strong hands. Christian Jan and Mauricio, they're all veterans of the show. They're all back on the show. We've never had this combo before. I try to give you original combos. I bring you the best freaking guests in the space every freaking Friday. So everybody, if you got questions, we have answers. Uh, we, we, you can ask questions. Do, do some stuff in the super chat there. Get my attention. Type in Bitcoin Meister. But we're going to start off with a quote here from Plan B. But this has been in the news lately, what I'm about to say. Small Bitcoin test to shake out weak hands that entered May to August. If you can't handle this, get out now. If you can, welcome to the club. Things to watch. Will this be the first dip that stays above $10,000? Will we see a fast V-shaped recovery the next day? In the next days. All right, you weak hands. I value my wealth in Bitcoin. I'm not worried about this fiat drop, but Bitcoin has stayed, it, it dropped below 10K a, a couple seconds for a little bit here and there. But Bitcoin's on a streak where it's closed for over $10,000. The, the closing price has been over $10,000 for over 30 some days now, and it's uh, getting closer to the record of 60 some. But Jan, what, what, what's your take on what's going on? I, I mean, I, I try to bring home really strong hands and don't freak out so that the whole world out there uh that so they can handle the freaking truth that bitcoin is a freaking roller coaster okay and that you shouldn't you shouldn't worry too much and you shouldn't worry at all but jan what's what's going on yeah i mean it is it is a roller coaster it's a very small asset class compared to the world financial markets it, and you know it's done this many many times right there's all these yes. memes about bitcoin is crashing right bitcoin always crashes bitcoin crashes on a very strong upwards trajectory uh, there's a great YouTube video where it says, you know, don't buy Bitcoin because it's crashing and he kind of goes back in time. And those of us, you know, depending on what point you entered into the Bitcoin cycle, you may have lived through one crash, two crashes, three crashes, five crashes. I don't know. Um, but for me, Bitcoin's a long-term uh, investment. It's a long-term, uh, it's, it's a bet on the future of money, which is a big, big bet. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to go up and down a lot in those uh, intermediate steps. And, uh, you know, if anything, this reminds me of like 2016 when we were ranging in that 1,000, like 900, 1,000, 1,100, that we kept ranging and then all of a sudden it broke out, right? Now it's the same thing. It's just multiply everything by 10, you know, or you take it back two years, you know, and take, take everything, cut everything by 10. It's the same range, same percentage moves yes. as we've had before. It's just, it's just the, the numbers seem bigger because they're bigger numbers, but the percentages are the same. So people don't, don't think about percentages though. They say, oh my God, Bitcoin's down by a thousand dollars. Well, it's down by 10%. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. It is, it's two, it's what was going on 210,000 blocks ago too. Back, exactly. it, that's your point. In It's a 210,000 block theory. This is what was going on in uh, 2016. I lived through it before, but I got to say, you, you, you mentioned something very interesting, you know, for the people who haven't lived through it before, how couldn't people have lived through this before? It was worse on March the 12th, people. March the 12th. 
I mean, this is so. This is the story. It's the biggest. Exactly. It's the biggest drop since March. Have you forgotten March the twelfth? Is I mean, I mean, I know there's we got short term memory problems. Here but you forgot last year we were at twelve k last year and we dropped all the way down, you know, and then we went back there. I mean, look, it's it's Bitcoin. It's going to do Bitcoin things, and um, we're here for the long term. Exactly. Well, Gregor Kovacs in the chat sent nine dollars and ninety nine cents. Thank you very much. He says Venezuela in power on the panel today. Shabbat Shalom, Adam. Well, I, yes, we're, we're, Mauricio is about to speak on this matter. He actually has some great uh, inside information. Well, about Air Air TM, and we talked about this on a past show. I'm giving you a little preview. We're going to talk about this in a couple seconds. But for now, we're going to go to Mr. Venezuela. <laughs> and he's going to talk about uh, the, the the original topic, which is the price drop. And uh, what what's up, yeah. Mauricio? Yeah, listen. I mean, it's very much uh, in line with Jan in that this is just Bitcoin being Bitcoin. Uh, it, it it is one of those things that for a Bitcoiner that they've been looking at the chart or or perhaps holding Bitcoin for a few years or a few cycles, you look at it and you you know and you just okay, it's, it's Bitcoin being Bitcoin. Uh, but when, when it's your when, when you're Say this is your first month holding, or this is your your first couple months holding, and you haven't really gone through a crash. Right now, all you've seen is green, and then all of a sudden, it just knee jerks back to zero, potentially a little bit of red. And so naturally, that gets people saying, "Oh wow, okay, uh, what am I getting myself? What am I getting into? You know, how that, how much, how often does this do this?" Uh, and the other thing that people sometimes forget is that uh, people do still speculate on Bitcoin quite a bit, uh, and this speculation is mostly done on margin. Uh, and uh, when when price moves, the margin basically uh, uh, accelerates all the moves up and down. You get long squeezes on the way down, you get short squeezes on the way up. So it's just a function of leverage. And, uh, and to Yam's point, it's just a very small asset class still. Uh, so it, it, it's easily tossed around when big liquidity moves one way or another. Yeah. And I, 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 so far, we've had two guys just say, this is what happens. <laughs> Remember the past. There's, it's, it's turbulent. I, I mean... I feel like we, I've had this show before. It, it's it's unbelievable, but people still ask me these questions, and um, I, I guess that this is my segue into Christian. I mean, you you create content. I mean, you, you're doing you're in motion, baby. Um, I mean, are you do you, do you get tired of this uh, this scenario of people asking about it? I mean, is it or just something we're just gonna have to get used to? So what's what, what's your take on the drop? I I assume you've got a strong hand. Yeah, well, of course, have a very strong hand. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of experts that come on the show and all experts have long term thinking, I, I assume. Uh, so they'd probably say that, hey, this is just Bitcoin being Bitcoin. I agree with both Jan and uh, Maurizio. But uh, to answer the question about like new people asking this question, uh, I actually love it because that means new people are coming in. Like there's a constant flow of newbies going from zero to Bitcoin. Uh, so I know that both Jan and, you know, a little bit from Rizzo are really involved in that onboarding process. And that's what Bitcoin Magazine does, too. So uh, love it and embrace it. And, you know, honestly, Adam, you too, like you helped me onboard in 2017. So uh, it's always uh, awesome to get on this show just because I, I used to learn and uh, find out what it means to have a strong hand by listening to you. Um, just to add a little bit to the conversation you know, there was a, a sharp dip in the stock market that correlated with sharp, sharp dip in all of the crypto markets. So um, there seems to be like if there are strong moves in the capital, uh, you know, in major markets uh, that 
crypto and Bitcoin get affected by that. So maybe that is the reason uh, why we saw prices dip because, you know, people need cash and they sell their winners sometimes. And, you know, a lot of times that's Bitcoin. Uh, so when Bitcoin is, you know, at all time high, real, you know, realistically, you know, 12K is all time high for Bitcoin. Like it wasn't above that ever for very long. So when Bitcoin is at all time highs, uh, there's a scare because of political or macro reasons. You know, you know, people might sell Bitcoin. So uh, it makes sense to me. And I, I don't think that that correlation is going to stop, especially when we see big down days or big up days in the stock market. Uh, that was a freaking awesome observation there, Christian. I mean, that's uh, when we when we were analyzing what happened on March the 12th, it was the same thing. People needed money and they sold the real thing. And it, and, but it was bigger macro events then. I mean, everybody knew what the main macro events, uh, some of the bigger events that, that happened this week, I mean, uh, with, with the stocks and everything, it's, it's not, I mean, March 12th was huge. You know, everyone's thought the world was ending or something like that. Uh, and, and also it's, you bring up a very interesting point. I've been, I've been talking about strong hands for so long that some of the people that were just originally watching the show became strong hands, became people in the space, and now are for being from watching the show to becoming guests on the show. So I've been around for a while, and it's all it is so awesome to see, uh, you know, to hear that. And uh, you know, you're not you're not the only one, uh, but it, it, that that's gone from watching it to becoming a guest on the show. So. Uh, it, it's for some it, time flies. It's a it, it's a it's a great reminder of uh, the growth of the space. And yeah, it is it is a good sign when newbies are asking about turbulence. But for me, when I when I get annoyed is when the oldies are asking me about the turbulence, and they and that continues to happen. All right, and uh, so you, you also mentioned that these two other guests are really uh, good at uh, onboarding people. So we're going to read a Jan tweet that actually talks about that. The price of Bitcoin is falling, but the number of people accumulating with reoccurring buys is increasing. All right. So th this is, you've got a, uh, you've got proof of this, Jan. That, yeah. That's... Yeah. I have, I have front row seats, right? This is actually really awesome to build a business, which is an on-ramp. Um, you know, for those people who don't know, we have Swan Bitcoin represent right here. Um, Swan is an on-ramp that's a one-way function, right? We're taking people from the US dollar into Bitcoin. We don't actually offer selling functionality. Um, if you want to sell your Bitcoin, you're going to have to figure out how to withdraw it from us, which we want you to do. We want you to get your Bitcoin off the exchange right away. And uh, if you want to sell it, you can, of course, somewhere else, but that's your problem. Um, that's not the behavior we're seeing with most people. I mean, I think we've only seen like a handful of people who've just said, okay, I'm canceling my account because I'm going to go trade XRP. And I said, you know what? Good luck. Good luck to you, my man. I'm, I can't, I'm not here to offer financial advice. Uh, you know, we're here to, to talk about Bitcoin. Um, but most people are, are there because they are accumulating Bitcoin, right? So they're setting up a recurring plan and they're buying Bitcoin. So I think it's really interesting to look at, um, you know, 99% of our users are brand new to Bitcoin. A, a couple of them are migrating from Coinbase or something. But most people are just coming in fresh from a recommendation from a friend. And it's really interesting to see them come in with a philosophy of they're accumulating Bitcoin because they see it as a future money, as a safety asset, right? So it's very, I think we have to talk about these two, two um, opposing forces. One is the price is moving like crazy. Why? Because of traders, right? Like it's not moving because of the accumulators. It's moving on the margin. Like Mauricio said, it's moving because of, of, of big people with lots of money trying to move the market around and trying to make money. So that's one aspect of Bitcoin, right? Which is the short termism and the trading and the speculation. But the other aspect is all of these people getting into Bitcoin because they see it as something they're going to give to their kids, something they're going to use in the future, um, you know, optionality for buying something in the future. It could be because they're living in a messed up regime where their money doesn't work. 
lots of different reasons that are more long-term oriented. So I think if we look at that and we see, okay, those people constantly are going up. It doesn't matter what the price is doing. The number of people that are getting into this on-ramp state where they're just going to accumulate, accumulate is going up. And I think that's the thing to really pay attention to because uh, at the end of the day, that's what we're here for is to get Bitcoin adopted, you know, all over the world as a money. Um, and that's going to be a slow and long process and you know, it's going to be a bumpy ride. In, indeed. And I, <laughs> when, you are, you basically said at the beginning of your statement there, you are offended by selling. If, if they want to sell, go ahead. They got to figure out how to sell it themselves. Pound that like button because I'm offended. I, I, I like that attitude with, with, with you said at the beginning there. That was, uh, that reminded me of my, my, my classic saying. Uh, Mauricio, any comments on the, the onboarding? Uh, that, I mean, are you seeing uh, more interest also? Yeah, there's definitely uh, two two trends that I think are, are are happening or are at play right now in North America. Obviously, the Bitcoin trend, uh, Bitcoin has become a, an asset that's exciting. Uh, people are actually cluing in on what printing money means uh, and what it could lead to. So they're going back at Bitcoin with a set of sober eyes and saying, okay, if Paul Tudor Jones is investing in it, if Raul Paul is investing in it, if the Winklewide brothers are investing in it, if uh, you know, uh, if these great investors are all of a sudden saying it's in my portfolio, and if you're having publicly listed companies setting it up as reserves, uh, they're going out and saying, okay, well, uh, perhaps this is not for speculators and weird, crazy people. This is actually a sophisticated tool for hedging inflation. And they're going into Bitcoin and they're saying, okay, uh, all right, I'm look, I'm learning it from now. Now it's not. Uh, and a non uh, avatar on Twitter telling me to, you know, go do these crazy things. Now it's a guy on a suit and tie that I've been following financial advice from saying, I'm going to buy Bitcoin. And you're all of a sudden looking at it and not, not to plug us or anything, but the advent of companies like Ledin, where now you can do more things with your Bitcoin, you're going to earn interest. You can get a loan if you don't want to sell it. And it is a transparent company based in Canada that you can call up and, and have a conversation with, we're registered with FinTrack. Uh, people are, okay, like this is perhaps if I like Bitcoin, I understand the hedge. I don't necessarily understand how to sell custody or do all these things first, but I like it as an investment. I want to go and participate. Uh, and they're using our services more and more. Uh, like we, we continue to see growth that every every month after every month, we, we say it's a record month. And I hope I keep saying that knock on wood. Uh, but the other trend that we're seeing is in Latin America, obviously there's a big push towards dollarization. People don't want their local fiat. And while there is also a, a trend onto Bitcoin, there's a, also a big trend onto dollars. And what people are, are realizing now is that in stable coins, they can effectively protect their wealth in a dollar for a format. And in a stable coin now, uh, that, that stable wrap, that crypto wrap dollar can now, again, use savings accounts like Ledin, like we're paying 11.7% uh, on, on stable coins. And they can withdraw those funds and use them as they wish. So effectively, they're seeing in that a solution. And the other, now the additional side to that is we have USDC and Bitcoin. When a person logs in and they see their balance in Bitcoin and say, and USDC, they're like, great. If they log in three months later and they see Bitcoin price higher, they're like, oh, I'm missing out on some Bitcoin. If they log in a month later and they see Bitcoin even higher, they're like, okay, well, screw dollars and going to Bitcoin. And so the, I do think that all these paths eventually lead to Bitcoin, but those are the two main trends we're seeing North America at that time. All right, this is this is good. I, I I love hearing news like that. More more regular people somehow getting into the space, and and all you guys are, are helping with that. So that there there's a positive for all the people that get fixated on the price. Now, uh, for speaking about pe people fixated on the price, a, a, a 
this guy isn't fixated on the price, but he, he sent a comment. So I'm going to, I'm going to read Brian Jacoto said, uh, if you're doing it right, number go up is always true. Either the price is rising and the fiat number goes up or the price is falling and you're stacking your Bitcoin holdings go up. That's a good way of looking at it, man. I like that. Uh, that go, that's, Brian. Uh, yeah, yeah sure. very, very good, Brian. Now, uh, well, let's, let's go to this. Uh, we, we talked about stable coins. We actually got an allusion to, to altcoins b- beforehand. So I want Jan to clarify this. Uh, we got a, we got another Jan tweet here that needs a clarification. He said, uh, coin market cap added 30 cryptocurrencies in the last few days, up from 6,720, 6, now at 6,750. Few understand the rate of growth is absolute trash here. Ooh. Uh, CMC at uh, 10,000 coins will be telling Bitcoin's story that much easier. Keep adding, guys. Okay, uh, explain <laughs> that one. Explain that. Inflationary um, currencies, Eric. I guess. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, it's you know I think it's really fun to watch what's going on in the markets now because we have coins like pasta and, and spaghetti and pizza and God knows what else. And everybody's just getting wrecked like 99% down on all these coins, you know. Um, what do I mean by these, by this tweet is that, uh, when, when people get into Bitcoin, a lot of, you'll see this on Twitter all the time, very sophisticated people, uh, macro investors, uh, people tr- familiar with traditional markets. They'll say, okay, Bitcoin's cool. Okay. But why shouldn't I, well, tell me why I shouldn't buy this other thing like Ethereum or Litecoin or these other 10 coins. And I think when, when it was just Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin, then that question was like really, really hard to answer, right? Like you have to get into, into depth. Now the answer is much easier. You say, there are actually Ethereum, Litecoin, and Bitcoin, or Bcash, or whatever. That's not all there is. There's actually more than almost 7,000 coins now, okay? And all you have to do is look at what those markets look like. And you look at the 10th biggest coin by market cap. It has about half a percent of Bitcoin's liquidity. And what do you think the rest of that tail looks like? I mean, it's non-existent, right? Some of these things, they literally have like two people pumping and dumping the entire market, right? So uh, what I mean by my tweet is that the more coins that are printed, the easier it is to answer people who say, why Bitcoin and not something else? And the answer is because there's 10,000 other things and none of them have any liquidity, right? And when there's 20,000 other things or 50,000 other things, it makes selling that story so much easier than when there are only three and it really looks like, well, is it Ethereum or Bitcoin? That's not the story. The story is it a Bitcoin or this entire gigantic long tail of, you know, thousands of, of garbage coins. Um, that's that's the story to me. Well, you brought up, uh, and, you, and that is a good way of, of looking at things and telling newbies about it. Uh, you know, what look, diversification for the sake of diversification, you're going to diversify into nonsense people, and any and anyone can make their own coin. And it might. I just- mean, it, Coinbase just added like custody for Dad Coin. Who's ever heard of Dad Coin? Like, what is that, right? Like, people just make up random coins, and you know, yeah, they have some project behind them and some team or whatever. But that's the whole thing is like we've created this, we've given people the license to print their own money. So, of course, they're going to do it. Of course, there's going to be teams building coins because they're printing their own money. I mean, it's amazing, right? If you All the incentive is there and it's so easy to do. Um, I think the more people see those options in front of them, the more their eyes are going to just gloss over and they're going to they're gonna have a hard time answering or even asking the question of which of these 10 coins, 30 coins or 1,000 coins should I buy it? Now it's, the answer is clear. Yes, good, good, good spin on uh, on all these coins being uh, 
generated, and it it leads us into the topic of uh, it's the DeFi part of the show today because the, the D- DeFi uh, has it's been a big story the uh, last few weeks. It's only getting bigger. Some people are saying uh, it's DeFi that brought the, the whole market down. Uh, now we we haven't seen that yet, but we probably will. Uh, but uh, since, since I got Jan speaking, uh, wait, wait, no, you you. <laughs> How to get wrecked in the most complicated way possible? That's uh, that's DeFi there for, for Jan at least. Uh, I mean, a- a- any thoughts on uh, what on what's going on in, in DeFi? Uh, yeah, Jan, you want me to follow up on that tweet? Yeah. So, like, I, yeah, yeah. what I did, I retweeted. I retweeted somebody who uh, put together a thread, which is really, I think, is absolutely worth reading because it's like, here's how you can make two hundred percent a year, which first of all, red flags right there. But let's just say 200% a year on your Bitcoin, right, in USD. And they illustrate a set of steps, each one of which has like an insane attack vector of things that could go wrong. From the chain going screwy to you losing your keys or using some wallet that's halfway supported. I mean, and it's like this insane series of steps, this Rube Goldberg machine to supposedly give you 200% on your Bitcoin. Which, look, if there was a way to get 200% of your Bitcoin, Great, go go for it, right? But you are, and you know, to be fair, this person disclosed a lot of risks and they said, here are all the things that could go wrong. This thing could crash, this thing could crash, this thing could go wrong, this could go wrong, comma, other risks, right? Um, and it's true, the, the amount of yield in this DeFi is basically a proportion to the amount of risk that you're taking, because that's really what yield is about. Yield is always proportional to risk. So, you know, people are chasing these 200% gains and then all of a sudden the next day, the thing's going down by 99%, which, you know, was, was tweeted out as well. So. I think um, people have to be careful. These these are very very complicated uh, machines that have been built for essentially you know they're just more and more complicated versions of a of a Ponzi scheme, right? Like let's get more people uh, giving us liquidity to trade these altcoins. And what does that mean? Liquidity it means locking up your coins so that when the moment comes you can't get them out. So it's like <laughs> that's what that's what's going on right now. All right, uh, Christian, your your thoughts on this? Uh, I haven't come back to you for a while here. Yeah, I mean. I think it's it's hard to have a, a nuanced position on on DeFi. I think DeFi and what's being built on Ethereum is very nuanced. I think the infrastructure has could and has value if you like think of it replacing or adjacent to like a Binance. Like think of Binance on a distributed ledge, like on a distributed server um, that has incentive token. Obviously, it's going to be expensive, but um, it does a good job of making it so it's harder for regulators to push KYC down their throat. So for those purposes, like it makes sense. It's like an anti-KYC technology. Um, I have no idea how sustainable it is or how decentralized it really is or how hard it is for KYC to be like implemented. But so far that's the use cases. People want to trade, people want to speculate without KYC. Uh, BitMEX now has KYC. You know, the easiest way to get access to that kind of activity is now happening on Ethereum blockchain directly. So, um, I mean, it's very interesting to watch. Uh, with that being said, I think uh, when Hot Dog was released, that was like the local <laughs> top of, of this speculation. Uh, I mean, who knows? The speculation is probably going to continue. Like, people, few people talk about, the, like, when the Bitcoin bull market starts, one of the things that comes with it is the shitcoin speculation. Like, they go hand in hand. Like, it's impossible to not have it until maybe a lot more people are on Bitcoin. But even still, I, I would be surprised if, uh, you know, the entire world population 
<laughs> doesn't get fooled by shit coins. Like there's just so many people to onboard and it's so easy and there's so many incentives to print money. Uh, so it's just going to continue happening. Uh, I think the the DeFi infrastructure on Ethereum, like I, I want to see how censorship resistant that really is. Um, there's, I don't know, that that's kind of my take. Like if, if that is censorship resistant and you like Binance, then there's no reason why you wouldn't like that. Um, but if it's not censorship resistant, then, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, a, a you know, low time pre or a high time preference Ponzi. Well, I, I got, I got to say, you, you, you made some uh, pretty uh, good points there. And uh, I, I just, I forgot what I was just going to say. I was, something you said really, really stuck out with you. I, I forgot what you said. I, uh, but no, good, good, good way of, of looking at it. Uh, it, you, you actually had a little bit of a, a positive, uh, I mean, let them create it. Let, let people try. Oh yeah. That every bull cycle, this happens every, every, yeah. Every time it, it goes hand in hand, the altcoin pumpage goes hand in hand with the, uh, with the Bitcoin, uh, bull markets. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the entire world, uh, ends up with some alt <laughs> experimenting with some altcoin at, at one point. It just, it just seems not the entire, but you, you, you get my point. The 80%. I mean, there's nothing world. wrong with gambling. I think it's very clear. Like people love to gamble in all kinds of ways. I have absolutely nothing against gambling. Uh, I've gambled in casinos. I like to play poker. Um, I think if people want to gamble on, you know, shit coins as a way of uh, trading. I mean, essentially, they're gambling on complicated technology. Most people don't understand what it is. Some people don't care what it is. They just want to, you know, gamble that hot dog will go up and pizza will go down. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, per se. Um, where I take issue with it is more like when you try to sell those things to people as legitimate investments, uh, you know, and say, like, you should invest in this because hot dog is the future of money. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> All right, M M Mauricio, your turn for uh, to take a stab at DeFi here. Um, yeah, I think it's there, there's a lot of noise. I mean, it, it's just really hard. There's a lot of tech being built, and there's a lot of volumes being moved around. But it's really hard to tell what is uh, what will stick and what is valuable technology because there's just too many free incentives being tossed around, and people are using these platforms for the sake of collecting these incentives. So it's hard to say who's using it because it's actually a worthy product or who's there just to take the yam out of it or to take the hot dog out of it and to go and sell it and then to restake it to the very next thing that has an incentive, right? So I do believe it's become this new sort of, you know, the, the next sophisticated uh, speculation venue. It's basically like a small circle of speculation for people that are making a lot of money. And uh, the premise, I believe, is that it's going to be non-KYC. Uh, I, I contrast that with, for example, some of the larger ones, uh, some of the larger groups I've read have applied for licenses. Uh, and, and so to me, that's that's kind of hard to, to kind of reconcile. Uh, and then the second piece of that is, I don't know a single DeFi Anon team. Uh, they're, they're all people in the most, a lot of them are in America. One hundred so, exactly right. And so, exactly so right. As soon as it gets big enough, somebody's going to go after Uniswap. I mean, it's like... It, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, how censorship resistant is it really? We'll see. Yeah, and so again, we, you know, what we you know, pragmatically as an operator of a, of, of a platform that wants to help people, uh, we look at we're looking at the technology and we're trying to see is anything in here useful? Is anything in here stuff that our clients would ever want to use? Like just just by the function that it performs. For example, initially I thought Curve was an interesting protocol. This idea that you could send one stablecoin to another and get it automatically converted to another. I, I don't think it's been in the wild long enough 
for me to say, hey, this is a robust system that doesn't have a, a you know a downfall. I haven't seen one of these coins lose its peg and the pools get drained and what happens to the rest of the people. So I still I still think we're it's just way too early. And I don't want to throw a blanket and say that everything that's being created is useless. Uh, I do think there might be some interesting tech there, but at the same time, it, it's just way too early and there's a disproportionate amount of hype around it, at least in my view. All right. Well, let's let's go from this this hyped up uh, subject that everybody everybody's been talking about DeFi. But there was something I talked, to, and we we're going to stick with Mauricio on this topic. Uh, there was something I brought up a, a, a few weeks ago, a very interesting Venezuelan story about uh, using uh, basically stable coins, dollar stable coins, to get the people of Venezuela back money that was stolen from them. And uh, it's an interesting evolution in cryptocurrency here. Uh, you, you take over this story now, uh, Mauricio, and, yeah. and, and expand upon it better than I. And, and the company's name is, I just had it written down. It's in the title, and I can't find it. It's AirTM. Yes. AirTM. Yeah. So uh, what I think we're seeing here is the sort of the first example of crypto geopolitics, uh, which is, in essence, uh, a government or a group of government using crypto to carry out a political agenda or to push a political agenda. And the way they're doing this is, you know, uh, to the people perhaps to set, to set some, some, uh, some context to the Venezuela situation, uh, the Venezuelan regime, uh, the Maduro has been, Venezuela has been basically sequestered by a regime that has not allowed elections. And it's, it's basically dictatorial and it's been incredibly sanctioned and questioned by the entire international community. Uh, a year ago, I'm not sure if people remember, it got to a point where the whole international community tried to send aid through Venezuela and tried to physically drive the trucks through the border, but the regime closed the bridges. It literally physically put containers on the bridges, did not allow aid through. Richard Branson did a concert, I'm sure some people here remember it. But at the end, aid wasn't able to go through because the government forcefully was able to forcefully stop it. For decades, the international community has been trying to send aid to Venezuela, but because the regime thinks it's going to go against its political agenda, it does not let that aid come through and, and, and reach the people that, it, that, that the international community wants to help. So that had been the case until last month when uh, uh, Guaido, who is basically the head of the opposition in Venezuela, said that they had $18 million that they had reclaimed from uh, the, the United States government had basically confiscated the money from the criminals that the, the Venezuelan regime, the, 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 they're, they're essentially a drug trafficking ring disguised as a government. Uh, but in essence, they confiscated the money and they gave it back to the rightful uh, president, which is Juan Guaido, the, the last democratically elected representative. And he's been trying any which way he can to get the money back to the hands of Venezuelans. And he created this mission called Heroes of Health. And the first pilot program is to send aid in dollar form to doctors that are essentially frontline doctors in the COVID crisis. So the, the way this is getting set up is they are uh, they're setting up accounts on AirTM. And AirTM is a crypto company that allows Venezuelans to receive stable coins and then exchange those stable coins for believers using their P2P network. So AirTM doesn't have a bank account. All of AirTM's clients have a bank account. And so if I want to sell my stable coin to CK, I can basically say, here it is. 
and you send me bolivares. And I, it's as good as somebody sending me bolivares. Now, the big problem is that the Venezuelan government, the, the Venezuelan regime hates this. And it hates this because the good guys are now sending money to the other good guys, the government. And so they, they can't stand this, right? Because it says, you know, that we can't set a president that the international community is good and wants to help people because we've set up this whole charade on the premise that they are Yankees and imperialists and they want to kill us. So it, it basically kills their entire narrative. Now, what they've done is said, we're not going to let you send the money in. We're going to DNS block AirTM and deem it a terrorist financial organization. Cool. Balls on your court, Guaido, right? Guaido, which is again, this is the first case in my view of crypto geopolitics has now gone out and has his entire train telling the Venezuelan people how to download a VPN, how to install an AirTM uh, wallet, and how to essentially, once the dollars are received, how to exchange them for Bolivares. And the process is ongoing. It is going to get done. The funds are going to get sent, and they will get converted. And when this happens, I think this is going to be epic. Uh, and people aren't paying enough attention to this, at least in my view, and I'll stop. Dude, that, that's why we got you on here to, to talk about, I only talk about the stories that the whole world isn't talking about, not the generic stuff. Now, again, I brought this up a few weeks ago. Nobody jumped on it. You brought this up again to me today. So people keep an eye on it. It is, it is revolutionary. And if it works, I'm sure uh, it'll be tried on other uh, regimes uh, to, to bring them down to help, because uh, this will help, uh, this will hurt the, the 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 bad regime down there in Venezuela if it is uh, successful. It, it, and, and from yeah. what I've heard, it, it, it sucks down there. Uh, <laughs> things have been yeah. pretty bad. Uh, did someone someone else try to say something there? Just want to make okay. All Happy right. to add to that. Oh yeah, I would please. Just say, I would just say like stuff like AirTM, stuff like stable coins. All of these things are like incremental steps towards Bitcoin. So like Bitcoin is the end game. Bitcoin is the most neutral global settlement layer for the world. And ultimately, like uh, what Mauricio said, as people continue to live with Bitcoin and continue to live with dollars in their lives, they're just going to continue to see the disparity and it's going to just be obvious. So we should embrace uh, these virtual dollars, these digital dollars, hyper dollarization um, ultimately, that just leads to Bitcoin, in my opinion. And uh, I mean, it, it's going to help people, whatever it takes for them to break down the smaller mini fiat systems that just, you know, accelerates us towards where we need to go. All roads lead to Bitcoin. That's uh, my, my positive take also on uh, when, when, when people get uh, uh, when people are able to use stable coins and get familiar with uh, the, the digitization of money, digitalization of money. Uh, it, they'll hopefully uh, uh, plenty of them will uh, end up uh, valuing their wealth in Bitcoin one of these days. So uh, very good. Remember, all three of these dudes are linked to below. Everything we talk about is linked to below. Pound that like button. Well, we're going to go to Jan right now. There's a specific question for you, Jan. Oh wait, wait. Jan. I wanted to just can I add one thing quickly? To oh yeah, please, uh, please. Do, do. Yes. Uh, first of all, awesome work by RTM, and the, we actually did a campaign with them last year. We also raised some money for uh, for Venezuela using their product. And so I think they're doing great work down there. Uh, I agree that people generally still want dollars. Bitcoin is still very early um, and stable coins and whatever way of getting you know access to dollar denominated 
um, funds works for now. Uh, I do think we're creating a bit of a danger here because as these different currencies fail, if people go to dollars instead of something else, right, like Bitcoin, if they end up in dollars and what that does is it creates this very centralized one point of failure, like the US government and the, the US Fed are now effectively in control of world monetary policy, right? We create the dollars at the end of the day. And now I know there's this entire Euro dollar system, which is outside of the Fed's purview, which is kind of like what the stable coins are doing as well. They're kind of creating their own little world. But at the end of the day, the U.S. government still has a big um, role in the, ro the, you know, the, the working of the dollar across the entire world. And the more dependence we create on the U.S., the more we actually do create that imperialist regime that can basically just say, OK, well, this country is not good. We're going to just cut them off. You know, hey, USDC, you guys can't send uh, you know, coins to Venezuela anymore. So sorry, um, that could happen. So I think it's very while it is good in the short term that they're getting access to dollars versus Bolivares, which is obviously you know, a currency that's no longer functional. Um, I do think we have to watch out for that trajectory of creating so much dependence on the dollar. Now we're just giving the United States, um, you know, carte blanche to do whatever they want in the world, which is, you know, the U.S. is still a pretty good country, but, you know, you never want anything to be centralized in the hands of one uh, entity. But also the market is speaking, though, a little bit. I mean, they want dollar. The whole world wants yeah. dollars. Oh, we yeah. can't we can't stop that. I mean, that's uh, dollars are the only effective like goal. You know, people talk about the gold standard, but the dollar is the gold standard, right? That's actually yeah. the only truly, quote unquote, scarce currency in the sense that there is actually more demand for it than there is supply. And at the end of the day, you know, we can print lots and lots of it and there's still tons of demand for it. But who knows when that when that breaks down, right? Well, they, uh, uh, yes. Who, who knows? I, 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 that's that's a topic for another. I mean, that's a topic. It's dollar versus Bitcoin. That's the reality. Dollar well, I mean, versus Bitcoin. It is, but it's a, the, it could take the, a long time. Yeah, yeah it, it will. I, I'm not holding my breath. I've traveled around the world. People value their wealth in dollars. They'll gladly exchange exactly. their third tier currency for your dollar any any day of the week. But again, that's for and that's why I, I believe there will never be hyperinflation in the United States of America. But again, another topic. Uh, Mauricio, we'll let you close it off on this topic because a lot some other uh, they, they added some uh, meat to it. So you have anything else to say? No, I thought those were fair comments. Uh, I think, you know, to me, the the main thing is that uh, I see this as sort of like uh, I think authoritarian regimes when they first got introduced to Bitcoin, a lot of them were like, oh, you know, I can circumvent some sanctions with this. And then they saw the ICOs and they're like, ooh, I can raise some more money with this. And they always saw it as like an offensive weapon. And uh, now they're waking up and they're seeing like, oh, wait a second. They're using it to what? To undermine my, <laughs> to undermine my, my, my grip? Oh no. And, and I think that's what's going to happen. Like they're, 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 initially they look at it and they're like, oh, wow, sovereign money. Like I, I don't really have to care so much about the, what the big bad US guys have to say anymore. Uh, and then they realize, oh wait, wait a second, like my citizens are now using Bitcoin. They're no, no, they're no longer taking my Bolivares because of it. And, and they're all, all of a sudden saying, oh wait, wait a second, so now it can be weaponized against me and my banking system becomes a liability. And all of a sudden, like it's just the whole game turns, gets turned upside down. Like imagine being a regime that was able to control the internet and control who went in and out of your banking system and now all of a sudden you no longer can. That it's amazing. That's, yes. That's really, yeah. that this, I, so I, I, uh, I, it, it will be great to see how this uh, progresses. Wait, Christian, you have something to say or? Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll now, all right. We'll go to uh, we'll go to the question from the audience for Jan now. Can you ask Jan how does Swan Bitcoin uh, provide Bitcoin if no one can sell on their platform? 
Do they have an agreement with an exchange? Do they buy Bitcoin beforehand? Uh, so we actually do use a custodial uh, company, which is Prime Trust, and they're a Nevada chartered uh, licensed custody company, and they have liquidity providers. So what we're really doing is we're helping users uh, set up a custodial account and they're trading within those accounts uh, for the, on behalf of those users, and then they can withdraw the Bitcoin out of their custodial account. So it's like an exchange, pretty much the same idea, um, but the difference is um, you know, we don't offer selling functionality. <laughs> we could if we wanted to, it's just not something that we philosophically uh, uh, agree with, so we don't offer it. Yes, offended by selling. <laughs> All right, good, good question there. Here we'll go to another question real quick. This is this is one for the whole group, but I guess I'll start with Christian if you've got a take on this. Uh, question for the group: With Ethereum Classic repeatedly being fifty-one percent attacked for millions of dollars, at what point do these attackers graduate to Ethereum and roll back DeFi transactions for serious money? Hmm, I don't know if they can. Okay, Christian, you have any thoughts on that? So, I mean, if you were to, th like, the way that I think about mining is that you want to be the dominant chain on your specific chipset or algorithm. So if you're the dominant chain, the, the chances of people uh, messing with you is very, very low because they don't want to kill the golden goose. Like, you know, that that's that's kind of like how they're making their money. Why would they attack? They have long-term incentives not to attack. Um, with Ethereum Classic, obviously, it's a minority chain. Um, it has a lot of exchange listings, so it's the ideal chain to attack. You know, most minority chains are don't also exist on all the other exchanges and, you know, ha have an opportunity to attack. So uh, it's getting attacked a lot. Um, but they do bring up an interesting example. It's like, well, DeFi all of a sudden allows for there to be transactions that are worth significantly more than the block reward and fees like way way more orders of magnitude more because some of these transactions uh have leverage baked into them uh so that creates some crazy incentives i don't know like theoretically if amazon wanted to attack ethereum they could because they have that much computing power like general computing power but um like i don't know they like it would really take a massive organization like ethereum's hash rate is not um, it's not something that, you know, just any, any old, you know, rich person could just go and attack it. You know, it would, it would really take a substantial organization that was very sophisticated and knew how to take advantage of this pretty crazy infrastructure. Yeah. There's, there's a very cool website, um, called how many uh, which, um, if you guys don't know how many comps basically tries to give you an equivalence of like. You know, in, in Bitcoin, we consider six confirmations is pretty solid. It's very, very hard to reverse. Never been historically reversed, obviously. Uh, and then, like, what's the equivalent on another chain? So, like, Ethereum Classic, for example, it's 129 times easier, right? Um, so, it's, you know, very, very small amount of hash rate. It, I agree. Ethereum's got tons of hash rate and um, probably very difficult to reverse unless you are somebody like Amazon who, who does command lots and lots of GPUs. Or you release some kind of malware and take command of a large botnet and, you know, take control of some GPUs that way. Um, there's always a danger yeah, when, you, when, you know, when you have essentially like commodity hardware uh, powering your network, but- um, That's why ASICs are great. Yeah, yeah that's why ASICs are great. ASIC. <laughs> yeah. ASIC. I, I don't know if anyone's gonna graduate to, to Ethereum. I mean, there's so many other options out there to, 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 to hack or do all this stuff with. Uh, and. Yeah, but a good question. Mauricio, did you have any take on this at all? Or 
I mean, I think the only take I have is uh, uh, that the hashing rate, I mean, the fees that Ethereum miners are collecting right now are record. Like, they, they, I don't think yes. I've ever seen uh, the mining rewards this high for Ethereum. So I, I'd be, uh, you know, I'd be willing to bet that there's a lot of people ordering RX 580s right now and setting up more rigs and, and larger people buying into Shaman hash rate to Ethereum. So it's to, to CK's earlier point, it is the dominant uh, hash power chain on its chipset. So and it's just and, and that hashing power is just going to keep growing. And my 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 guess is probably exponentially, uh, given how the fees have grown. So uh, it'll become harder and harder to attack. Just to say that to say that. And again, I agree with the other ones that there are much easier chains to attack. All right. Well, talking I about have a comment on a, a more realistic Ethereum attack vector. I've been I've been commenting that Ethereum's biggest attack vector is its own community. And here's the reality: is that there's so much money being made by miners right now and so much new money going into Ethereum mining that those miners are not going to want to go to proof of stake. So all of a sudden, the golden goose, aka Ethereum right now, with the infrastructure it has right now, is going to be under attack from its own community that is going to try to, you know, effectively, you know, transport it to this new chain. So, I mean, I don't know how realistic that is, but I can imagine all this new money in hardware is not going to like being obsoleted. People brought that up before, but now it's becoming more apparent because they're, they're doing better than ever. Uh, and everyone is, you know, part of the reason the price of Ethereum even goes up is because there's hype among some that this Ethereum 2.0 is going to be the greatest thing ever. And they're going to be able to pull it off. But uh, I, I think we might, we, we'll, we'll be in, in, we're probably in store from some for some social turbulence uh, before then in Ethereum land. But hey, I, I'm watching it. Uh, compete, don't complain. Good luck to them. Uh, and uh, they, there is innovation going on in in the land of DeFi. That, uh, that but there's a lot of crazy other other stuff going on there. So this is where the big boys play. Personal responsibility is new counterculture. Be be careful out there, people. Uh, anyone yeah, else? Yeah. Anyone else have thoughts on that uh, subject before we move to, you know, we're talking about attacks on Ethereum. We we have an, an attack on someone's personal wallet in, in uh, the, the Nexus subject. So anyone else? Yeah, I was just going to mention the, with regard to high fees, which is really interesting. I saw somebody tweet like uh, that, you know, they, they're never going to trade on centralized exchanges anymore. They're just gone to Uniswap and doing DEXs and everything. And it's a vastly better experience. And they're like, and I don't even care about the fees because of the amounts, right? Like I don't care if I'm paying $20 a transaction because I'm trading $10,000, right? So essentially like what that does is it puts like more and more fee pressure on the chain as you're trading these larger and larger amounts, just like uh, CK was saying that we can go get to the point where, um, you know, you're trading with leverage, you're trading, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in one shot. You don't care if you're paying 10 bucks, 20 bucks, or even a hundred bucks. It's going to drive the prices up. Just like we saw, I mean, crypto kitties drew the prices up and that was, Nothing. We were trading $5,000 crypto kitties, no big deal. But now people are trading like real quote unquote money or money like things. Um, it's the, the game's been stepped up. And so the fees are going to rise. They're going to price out, you know, most normal applications out of the chain until it's just going to be essentially financial applications. And I, I've said this before about Bitcoin too, um, where there is no sense of any, a financial transaction will always have incentive to pay more, right? If I'm settling a billion dollars, I'll pay a thousand dollars to settle it. I don't care. Right. Uh, so a financial transaction is always going to be prioritize over a non-financial transaction. And at the end of the day, I think this is going to drive Ethereum to become a financial platform, which we're already seeing, DeFi, all this, right? All it is, it's about trading, it's about speculation. Uh, but the only problem is that by design, it's not really designed to be 
a network of settlement of money. It's got all this complexity around smart contracts and all that. That's basically you know makes the the cost go up and up and up as the contracts get more complicated. And this is uh, at the end of the day what's going to be its downfall because it's not really designed to be as a money settlement network. It's really designed to be a world computer, but it's being used as a money settlement network. And Bitcoin's always going to be a better money settlement network. So. And also because it's better money, but that's no. Sorry, my maximalism is showing. <laughs> it's it's all good. It's all good. All right, all right. Now, now we will uh, we will leave Ethereum in the dust there to talk about. Uh, you know, I admire strong hands. I admire dudes who haven't moved their Bitcoin since 2017. Clearly, they they've been around for a while. They don't need to do anything fancy with their Bitcoin. And there was a big story from earlier this week that he, that shows us that the. The strongest of hands, the the OGs of they can even make mistakes. Uh, someone was using an Electrum wallet and downloaded the wrong version of it and uh, had fourteen hundred Bitcoin stolen. Uh, Christian, did you know about this story? You have any uh, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I I heard about the story. I didn't really read into it. It's a very sad story. That's a substantial amount of money. Uh, some people will do drastic things after losing that kind of money. So I hope that uh, the person is uh, mentally sound and and faring with it. Personally, my philosophy to, to storing Bitcoin is uh, store, you know, make sure it's simple enough that you know how you can understand it, but try to have multiple different, uh, I guess, you know, mul multiple different bags or multiple different methods that you kind of employ. Uh, so that way, you know, not you can't lose all your, your entire sack um because of one thing like this so i mean this is terrible i'm sure something similar could happen to anyone you know there there can be some bug in any kind of popular wallet that or some sort of hack um and and people can lose their funds like that's just how it is so uh use extreme caution i'm loving the advancements in multi-sig i'm loving the advancements on signing uh, and coordinating uh, multi-sig directly on a cold card, directly on a Kobo wallet, directly on any future multi-sig wallet. Like all that stuff is minimizing that attack vector, but uh, it's a real, it's reality right now. And you, you gotta be careful with your stash, especially if you have significant funds like that person, like obviously, you know, their security was not to the level of their funds. Like that's just how it is. Like if you have X amount of Bitcoin, your security needs to match that amount of Bitcoin. Excellent point, and that this uh, this Electrum issue has happened did happen to other people recently also. So, uh, uh, what do you? Uh, uh, we'll go, Mauricio. Your your thoughts on a store? And by the way, this person, it's in theory, he might not been keeping all his Bitcoin. Uh, he probably he might have more. He might have fourteen hundred some other place. So it might not be the end of the total end of the world. But uh, yeah, it's it's never good to lose fourteen hundred Bitcoin, uh, Mauricio. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I what I may say might sound a bit controversial to some of the more call it hardcore Bitcoiners, but I, I do think that we we should be careful on this idea of how hard to push like this this almost like requirement to be your own bank. Uh, I, and I'll, I'll go out and say this like a lot of people don't want to be their own banks. Uh, a lot of people don't feel comfortable you know, having their entire life savings controlled by something that they can lose and having no one to call if something ever goes wrong. Uh, so I think, you know, this has, this, this, uh, movement has, has been born out of sovereignty. And of course it's like something that we deeply, deeply all believe in. And we, we want our people to do this, but 
I, you know, I have to, I have to go up and say it. I, I, a lot of people aren't ready to self custody. Uh, and a lot of times you're almost doing them a disservice by pushing them to self custody. Uh, so this is something that is a, is a fine line to talk about in the Bitcoin community, because obviously there's a lot of other risks when you go to a custodial service, like you're trading off your own custody for someone else. And you're basically saying someone else can custody this better than I can. Right. And that's not necessarily the case for everybody. Some people are very tech savvy. They can have their own multi-sigs. They can have, you know, geo redundancies and, and hardware redundancies, and they're fine doing that themselves. Um, a lot of people are not. And particularly as you get older and you need to have, you know, other people to think about if something were to happen to you, how are they going to recover that? Like this type of like estate planning type of thinking. Um, and, I, and I also think this is part of Bitcoin's evolution. Like it got started by a lot of young people as we all get older, as we all get more, as we all, as our concerns and priorities change, I think we bring a lot of that to the protocol as well, because it's, this is a project that's built by people. We can't forget that it's technology, but technology is, it's, it's, it was built by people. It's still managed by a community of people. So, uh, so it is something that I, I find that sometimes we're way too quick to abstract the technology from the people and, and to say that you have to be able to do this and you, sh you should be able to do this. So I just think we should just take a step back and, and remember that the people using Bitcoin are still people and people can be different. People cannot know about computers. People cannot know about self-custody. They may just want to worry about not having their savings inflate away uh, and not necessarily about the sovereignty of, of what bank they're at. All right, Jan. Yeah, I, I agree actually with Mauricio and, you know, look, I'm a hardcore Bitcoiner and I'm a hardcore technology person being in technology for 20 years. And guess what? I have some of my Bitcoin in self-custody and I have some of my Bitcoin in a fund which has like a, you know, transfer on death to my wife because I know that worst case scenario, I screw this thing up, I've got this backup, right? I've got things that that take advantage of the fact that I'm living in the United States, a rule of law country with strong property rights. You know, take that to your advantage. If you're living here, or in a country, you know, US, Canada, whatever, those kinds of places, you can custody your, you know, your Bitcoin with a licensed and regulated custodian, not an exchange. I would not advise relieving on an exchange. I would go to a specific company that's, uh, you know, licensed to custody only. Uh, and I think that's a good way to go. Um, now, if you're living in Venezuela or another place where you really are under threat of the government coming and taking your Bitcoin, perhaps don't leave it on RTM, perhaps actually figure out self-custody. And I agree that we are very quick to push people to self-custody. There's a lot of Bitcoiners who will say, if you can't figure out self-custody, you you know, you don't deserve any Bitcoin. I, I think that's a horrible attitude because it's such a complicated thing. Um, we're still in the very early stages of making the user experience good enough. We're just getting to the point where self-custody is even remotely easy. I mean, with products like Casa or Unchained, they're getting there. I don't think they're there. It's not something I would give to my mom. Um, I think we're getting there. I think maybe in 10 years we'll be there, maybe, maybe sooner. Um, but I think this election hack just underscores the fact that even people who are quote unquote self-custodying and think they know what they're doing don't necessarily do it. Now, I actually read a thread about how this whole hack went down. Uh, I don't remember, unfortunately, who put out the thread, but it was a really good explanation. And essentially what had happened is that Electrum, when you run your Electrum wallet, it connects to a remote server, which is not your server, somebody else's server, uh, unless you're running like Electrum personal server. So in this case, this guy's, this guy's Electrum connected to some other you know, bogus server and that bogus server through an Electrum bug was able to feed him an error message to go and download this like fake version of Electrum. So it was essentially an Electrum, uh, you know, kind of attack thing, plus the, the fact that they weren't actually running their own node, they were running their wallet against another uh, unknown node. 
So I think as we get better with running our own nodes and products will come out that are, you know, maybe one day it'll be like a light bulb. You screw it in, it just magically connects to your network and it does everything correctly and you never have to worry about it. Um, we're just not there yet and, and expecting people to like download, you know, open source software and compile stuff on Raspberry Pis is not realistic for most of the population. So I think we absolutely have to keep that in mind and um, steer people in in countries where it's possible, steer them to um, good licensed and regulated custodians if they're not ready to take their custody. You know, like that, that's what we do. We, we put stuff in custody, but then we say, hey, learn about wallets and figure out how to withdraw it if you're comfortable with it. If you're not comfortable with it, don't do it. Because I guarantee you there's a lot bigger chance that you lose your Bitcoin not knowing what you do with it versus, you know, a custodial company. That's just the reality. Most most people don't. Uh, I, you, you, someone referred to saying, uh, you know, you're not a real Bitcoiner if you don't uh, control your own private key or whatever. The, the thing is, is that I think I think most people in the space d don't control their own private key. Most hey, Coinbase has a million Bitcoins sitting over exactly. there. Exactly. That's so, I mean, by definition, most people are on Coinbase, right? Yeah, yeah. But 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 still, it's it's good to you know teach people that very valuable skill. It's going to be a very valuable skill in the 2020s to know how to store your cryptocurrency uh, properly. And a lot of people think it's, it's, you know, a lot of people who watch this in our little bubble, oh, oh that's so easy, Adam, that's not a real skill. No, it's a real skill. Um, and uh, and, you, and be careful when you complicate matters like that dude did, um, because that guy was an OG. And, the and part of that story also is, I, I read, is that the last time he moved, I mean, he knows, that guy knows what he was doing. He, the reason he moved it in 2017 is was when he claimed the Bcash. It was it was around the, the Bcash. So so I mean so it's that his Bitcoin has been sitting there since he claimed the Bcash, and I guess he liquidated. So he probably has more Bitcoin somewhere else that he. You know, who knows? But uh, th there you go. Uh, that that's your your uh, that's your uh, storage. Uh, yeah, yeah. The whole thing is and and yes, people. Uh, if if that was his only Bitcoin, yeah, I do hope he's psychologically sound. Uh, but. It, it, so people work on your uh, being psychologically sound. <laughs> Every, everyone, seriously, seriously, it's not. It is just money. You, you are alive still afterwards. Um, it, it probably and so do it, just don't have it all in one place. I guess that, that that'll uh, that'll prevent you from losing all your Bitcoin at once. You know, have a have multiple storage devices. I, I as I do and these guys do. All right. So the the final topic of the day. Uh, you know, Jan, you were actually talking about it, it's still complex. Uh, we're going to get into some social, the social media drama part of the show, the Yenta part of the show. Okay, so we got some Yentas complaining about INX because people uh, said uh, that, the, you know, Bitcoin maximalists were ripping on Ethereum for a while, and then they built the token on it. Okay, that was kind of from last week, but it, it blended into this week. And then we had something with this XPUB thing, okay? Do you know what an XPUB is? Uh, it, you know, do, should you know what an XPUB is? Uh, Jan, you commented on the XPUB stuff. Uh, do you have any kind of... What's what's going on with sure. that, and what's going on with uh, INX? It, uh, okay, I don't know. I'll try to. I'll try. I don't know. I don't know if I know the full drama. I know XPUB. I think at some point Peter McCormick tweeted out that he didn't know what an XPUB was, um, which I think is absolutely fine. And then he got yeah. all the flag for it. Uh, I don't think people should know what an XPUB is. So for those of you who don't know, an XPUB is basically a way for you to have a, a magical address that generates more addresses for your Bitcoin, right? Like most modern wallets have an XPUB that you can export and you can plug that into something else, which will then generate, you know, lots and lots of addresses for you. 
So it's a way to share essentially your wallet and all future um, addresses with a service. So for example, with Swan, we're building Xbox support now so that somebody could plug in their wallet and we could then automatically deposit to a new address every time we want to deposit to it. So it's a way for really, it's to me, it's a, it's a standard for wallets and other types of services to interface with each other to know where funds are going. Uh, it's really plumbing uh, for Bitcoin. It's not something that I think eventually users will have to deal with. So I, I think it's only fine that Peter McCormick doesn't know what it is, or, or I don't know what he tweeted, so I don't know what words in his mouth. I, I just couldn't follow his drama. But uh, long story short, it's, it's an interoperability standard. It'll be hidden eventually from people. And lots of places now, um, like you plug in your ledger and it just does stuff and you don't know what it's doing. It's sharing its XPUB with a service, right? Like these things are happening um, behind the scenes and eventually it'll be even more hidden. So that's that. And I can comment on the other one later. Uh, okay, Christian's got to go soon. So, what's your take on all this drama that's going on? Be, be it INX, be it uh, this one, the XPub. And you know, I agree. You, who cares what XPub is? It's it's ridiculous, and it doesn't matter that he he didn't know what it is. If you if you say people should know what an XPub is, then we're not gonna people aren't gonna join Bitcoin. Okay, people aren't gonna buy Bitcoin. All right, Christian. Yes. Um. So I have nothing to say about the INX thing. Don't care. Noise doesn't affect Bitcoin whatsoever. Um probably a bad PR move for some of these guys, but it's like, <laughs> I just don't care. Um, regarding Peter McCormick and the Expo thing, you people need to understand that in Bitcoin, people aren't stupid. People in Bitcoin have ulterior motives and Peter is a marketing genius. So Peter understands how to use Twitter. Peter understands how to rile up the mob and Peter understands how to get engagement and how to pump his show. And that's his objective. So like, if you're on Twitter and you're yelling at Peter McCormick, literally you are doing what he wants you to do. He is using you. So just want just want to let you know that. Um, regarding if you want to know what an XPUB is and you want to get better understanding, Aaron Van Wordham with Bitcoin Magazine just dropped a podcast today breaking down what is an XPUB, the history of an XPUB, why XPUBs exist, everything. So Aaron and a core contributor, Shores uh, Provost, uh, they do this podcast every single week. Highly recommend it. Um, and yeah, that's all I got. Um, I got to bounce guys, uh, got some more Bitcoin magazine things to do, but, uh, love everyone here. Pound that like book button, uh, make sure to follow everyone here. Peace. All right. Peace, yes. Thank you. Thank you. That was a really good take on it too. Uh, mm -hmm. all right. Uh, let's go to Mauricio. I, yeah, I mean, I just have to say, I, I echo, uh, pretty much what everybody just said, you know, on the Xbox, it's, it's something that I think, uh, an operator should know. Like, if you're a platform operator, then maybe you should know what an XBOB is. Or if you're if you work on like the the, the tech part of a of a Bitcoin company, then yes, you should know what an XBOB is. But I don't think it's something your average Bitcoiner would be familiar with. Uh, and uh, and then you know the, the the other stuff is like there's like topics here and there to, to CK's point where you know people could just lay them up on Twitter and Bitcoiners will come and dunk on them all day long <laughs> you know so it's some people could just you know create you know Bitcoin dunk competitions every time you just put a, a you know a comment on self-custody or a comment on uh, Expo or something technical you'll, you'll get a bunch of people uh, trying to chime in uh, and on the INX stuff you know similar to to, to what CK said it's uh, I don't it, it's really just noise I mean my only comment would be that just, you could have probably tried to craft that announcement a little bit better. It's just like there's there's a bit of contrasting teams versus product fit. It's just the, the story seems like it's, it's just a bit you know 
it doesn't fit. It just looks like you try to fit a, a square into a circle or something. Lots of, lots of noise on Twitter. A lot of people get caught up in the noise and they're being used for marketing purposes. You know, we speak, he, we're talking about Peter uh, McCormick, but have a Peter Schiff. It's, it's, I guess if you've got the first name Peter, you know how to rile everybody up so everybody knows about you and you get people to watch your show. Uh, all right, we'll go back to Jan with, uh, with uh, your take on INX, because you said yes. Yeah, I, I think I kind of agree. It's kind of a nothing burger in a way. Um, also, What's interesting here is, okay, look, it's, it's basically like a token that represents some cash flow, whatever. Essentially, it's still controlled by the company, right? It's, still, it's the company's cap table, okay? So they, they put their cap table on Ethereum. They put their cap table on, you know, Carta, which is a centralized, you know, normal database, or, or they have their own thing. The companies can do this however they want. At the end of the day, the company is still responsible for it. They still have revocation rights. They still have administrative rights over these things. So I think what what is weird to me is that it's not weird, but people are trying to use the idea that this is a token in order to market some newfangled thing, but it's not new. It's just a share. It's not really a share of a company. It's just a kind of a, a special share that gives you a special, special uh, specific rights. The fact that it was put on Ethereum or anywhere else doesn't matter because it could be taken off Ethereum and put on something else. So I think this whole idea of around, um, you know, uh, security tokens or, uh, tokens that represent fractional ownership of something. These are fine ideas. There's nothing wrong with the idea in and of itself. Like you, you can buy a fraction of a painting. Like there's a website called Masterworks where you can buy a fraction of a, a painting. It has nothing to do with a blockchain. It's literally just a record in their database that you own a fraction of this painting. So putting it on some kind of blockchain, maybe there's some benefits to transpar transparency or whatever. At the end of the day, the company can still revoke that ownership and assign it to somebody else. So what's the difference? So to me, it's like they, they use this technology of Ethereum because that's the thing that was there. And uh, Bitcoin wasn't mature enough for it. Bitcoin didn't have, you know, liquid uh, or, or token issuance on liquid or, you know, other things that people are, like RGB project. People are trying to do various tokens on Bitcoin. I mean, that's just using Bitcoin as a database. So I don't know what the whole point of that is. Uh, if you want to get transparency, that's fine. Maybe that's a good idea. And I think that when people put things on Ethereum, just because it's there and it's something you can use as a prototype, that's that's fine. I have no problem with that. Um, you know, over time, we're going to see, like I said, financialization of Ethereum causes prices to rise. It makes it so that transferring a token now is very, very expensive. So now you're kind of think, thinking about, well, is this the right place for me? Maybe I should move to another network. And so at the end of the day, it's just using it as a database. So um, we're going to see lots and lots of semi-transparent, uh, semi-decentralized databases. Ethereum is just the biggest one and the most popular one right now. Yeah, well, the, the reason this story was in the social media drama part of the show is because uh, it, it, the creation of the token shows that uh, Ethereum is uh, it has a use case. And some of the guys were very well known for basically saying there was no use for Ethereum. So there was that, I think they're just uh, they're also Twitter. You know, they're also looking for Twitter engagement. Right. Yeah. Like, yes. I think it's, it's facetious to say Ethereum has no use case. Obviously, people are using it. Right. Like literally all this DeFi, they're literally using it. Now that use case could just be speculation or gambling, but that's still a use. It could be used as a database. That's still a use. So I have no issue with that. I think that, you know, when we like quote unquote maximalists talk about these things having no use case, perhaps what we're really saying is that all that these blockchains are good for is money. And you're seeing that's what's exactly what's happening with Ethereum. It's turning into money. It's turning into a monetary network. And um, at the end of the day, when, when it becomes competition of this money versus that money, Bitcoin is going to win. Uh, if it has another use as a database, then the question is, is that use as a database better than some other database, right? And then you're comparing things like how fast is it? How cheap is it? And then you're going to go into centralization because that's the only way you get things to be fast and cheap. 
So that's to me the two things. You either look at it as money or you look at it as a you know quote unquote you know settlement network or database, and then it's it has different properties, and and those properties don't lead down a good path essentially for, for it to do both. It can't do both things. You've got a very level-headed approach to, to analyzing all this stuff, uh, and uh, people f follow these two guys for that type of stuff. You, you will avoid the drama, but mo mo the, the two stories that we just talked the two stories that we just talked about. 80% of it is is drama at the very least. So p crypto Twitter can be valuable. Crypto Twitter can waste a lot of your time too. Don't don't be a pawn and don't waste your time. And and also it you know it, it, the noise can distract you and can make your hand weaker. And whoa, what's this DeFi thing? <laughs> All these people are talking about this. Yeah, okay. All right. So we're at the we're at the end of the show. I'll let everybody do their conclusionary remarks. If there are any stories that were left off, anything they want to promote with the business, uh, we'll start with Mauricio. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks, uh, everybody. I'm at Ledin.io. We have Bitcoin savings accounts, USDC savings accounts, uh, loans to buy more Bitcoin, loans to not sell your Bitcoin. We're big on not selling as well, Jan. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, check us out. I'm, uh, my my uh, Twitter is at Cryptonomista. All right, and he's and they are linked to below. All three of these guys are linked to below, so definitely follow them. Jan, we'll let you have the uh, final word here. All right. And again, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Um, I'm with swanbitcoin.com. You can get your uh, Bitcoin recurring bias set up there very easily. Um, we recently set up a new onboarding flow, which means most people get approved within the same day. If not, then very soon afterwards. Uh, it's moving really quick and we're, we're shipping XPUB pretty soon. Uh, we just released uh, Batch32 support, so you can use your modern wallets. Um, very excited with all the um, developments there. Also, we have a weekly live show at swansignalpodcast.com. You can catch the, you know, the audio version of it, or you can find it on our Twitter or on our YouTube at you know, Swan Bitcoin. Um, next week is a very interesting show because I'm going to be on it. I'm usually not on these things. Um, next week, I'm talking with Eric Townsend from uh, Macro Voices, who's actually kind of a hero of mine. Uh, we had a bit of a Twitter spat uh, because I uh, mistakenly didn't think he knew anything about Bitcoin, but he actually knows quite a lot. We just don't agree. So we're going to talk next week, and uh, it'll be an interesting discussion, I think, to say the least. So uh, tune in next Wednesday, and um, I hope to see you there. Wow, you know, people can still have guests on their show that they don't agree with on everything. We're going to try. The modern world is not used to that. I get questions <laughs> about that all the time, too. Why do you have him on your show? Oh, my God, he disagreed. Okay, good. So, yeah. These guys, great, great guests. You've been great today. Everybody, thanks for all the support out there. Retweet it. It's Follow me on Twitter at TechBall, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. You get a new freaking show here every day. I've done like 1,800 of them. You can find them at DisruptMeister.com. That is the uh, the archives. I'm Adam Meister. I'm the Bitcoin Meister, Disrupt Meister. Shabbat Shalom. I'll see you when Shabbat's over Saturday night. Thank you, everyone. Stopping live stream. Bye.